All right, well, good morning once again. Uh, my name's Paul, glad you're here. You know, I have spent, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do the math really quick. I've spent over 30 years in roles in the church where at various times, probably at least once a week, I have a microphone in my hand and I'm talking to a large group of people. Whether I'm teaching or trying to lead the service through music or whatever. And guess what happens? When you're on a microphone that many times for that long of a period of time, you inevitably have some mess-ups. Right? It always makes me feel better when I see like news bloopers and things. Because like, the professionals that do it every night, they still twist their words sometimes. They say something they didn't mean to say. Or they use a word incorrectly. And sometimes it can get you in real trouble. Well, one particular time, after I had just transitioned into the role of doing the main service worship leadership every week, this was about hmm, 18 years ago, 15, 18 years ago, Uh, early on in that, it was the Sunday before Memorial Day, just like today. And at the end of the service, you know, it's always, you're you're trying to like let people leave with with a good feeling, and so you're saying goodbye, the benediction. Churches do that in a lot of different ways. Well, I, I said, have a, great, have a great day, or have a, glad you were here, whatever. See, I'm already messing it up. And I said, have a happy Memorial Day tomorrow. Enjoy your holiday. And so the people start filing out. Well, within, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes, I got an email. An email was still pretty new at that time. I couldn't get it on my phone yet, I don't think. But anyway, I got an email, and uh, it was, never tell anyone have a happy Memorial Day. And I was like, like just pierced me to the heart, like, immediately. Because I was young. I was just trying to make people feel good as they left. I didn't mean anything by it. wasn't trying to disrespect the holiday or, or anything like that. But I was taught a very important lesson, and the email was extremely respectful, and I was thankful for that, pointing out how wrong I was, but still in a respectful way, that Memorial Day is about something totally different than having a happy day, right? Memorial Day is about remembering those that gave the ultimate price to sustain our way of life, our way of thinking, our way of doing Uh, government and culture and society. It's a day not to just have a great holiday and and be off from work, but we set aside that day as a nation so that we can remember, right? Because there's power in remembering. There's power in reminding yourself what had to happen so that you could be where you're at. It's true in lots of areas of our lives. You know, why do you even have a holiday like Memorial Day? Why do we mark significant events and people on our calendar? Again, because there's power in that. Memorial Day, we remind ourselves again of the Americans that gave their very lives for the cause of democracy and freedom so that we can be thankful for the circumstances we find ourselves in today, that we can gather freely on a Sunday and worship in Carson City, right? I'm thankful for that person that sent me that note and pointed out my incorrect thinking and helped me understand this occasion in particular correctly. Now, the power of remembering is not a new idea. We see it throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, God instructed His people to build markers after significant things that happened, after significant events. 
Uh, I want to read one for you in Joshua 4, 1 through 7. It says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in times to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So the Israelites had been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They were finally able to enter the promised land. And they have another miraculous moment where they see God's power. When they passed by these stones, so God had them take 12 stones out of that very river and make a marker so that their children would wonder, what does this mean? Because they weren't there to see it. Right? And so they would ask the question, why are these stones piled up right here? This is kind of weird. And so then the people could tell them about the things that God had done in their history. It was a, ma- a marker of how God had brought them through their greatest challenges. And, you know, God knew that the next season of their life was going to be difficult. Right? They're heading into the promised land. There are a lot of battles to come. There are a lot of difficulties to come where they're going to need to be trusting him. He wanted them to have that marker that they could look back on and say, God is with us. God's power is with us. I can face the difficulty because I know God has walked me through the difficulties in the past. There's power in remembering. Another example is in the New Testament at the Last Supper, right? Where Jesus tells us to take the cup and the bread as reminders of his shed blood and his broken body that he willingly gave out of love for you and for me. So Jesus institutes communion and he instructs us to observe it in remembrance of him. Right? This very idea we're talking about. We do communion in remembrance of him. There's power in that. That's why we have communion every other week here at Common Ground. It reminds us of God's unconditional love and the links that he went to in demonstrating that love to us. I mean, think about even in your own conversations. Right? We understand the power of remembering. How many times has someone given you advice and it starts with something like, now remember? Right? It's just a natural part of who we are. There's power in that. And in the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing to his young friend, a pastor named Timothy, to give him advice and to give him guidance on how to lead his new church. Now, Paul is in prison again. At this point, he's fearing that he is close to death, and he wants to write these letters to Timothy to encourage him to continually faithfully sharing and serving the gospel, no matter how difficult it may become. So these are letters of encouragement. He wants to encourage him to endure. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, which is where we're going to spend the the rest of our time, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see Paul giving advice. And his advice is, remember. His advice is, remember. 
And what he tells Timothy to remember has a lot of significance for you and for me as we also seek to serve and follow Jesus ourselves. So let's see what he says. 2 Timothy 2, just verses 8 through 10. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. First thing Paul tells Timothy to remember is Jesus. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Now, it's fairly obvious as you read this passage, as you read the context, again, like I already said, Timothy's probably fighting some discouragement. He's unsure of himself. He's new to this. He wants to know what to do. He wants to hear that he's doing it right. He needs positive feedback. I mean, think about it. He's on his own in a new role with new people trying to lead him. The religious leaders are against him. The local government leaders are against him. Paul is in jail somewhere else, unavailable, and Timothy's trying to serve faithfully and hold things together while probably feeling totally alone. And Paul's first piece of advice in these verses is to remember Jesus. Remember who you serve. And he points out two things about Jesus that he wants him to be reminded of. First of all, he is risen from the dead. Why is that an important thing to be reminded of? A reminder of Christ's victory over sin, over death. Only he could do what he did. Only he offers that life, that forgiveness because of what he did for us on the cross. Remember Jesus risen from the dead. It's a reminder of just how miraculous our forgiveness and our relationship with God is that's only possible through Him. It's one of the reasons we do Stations of the Cross every year. We have these Stations of the Cross on Good Friday. It walks you through remembering the events of Jesus the week before He goes to His execution, the week leading up to the cross. And it's such a powerful reminder that it makes Easter Sunday that much sweeter for me, especially every time. I usually sit in here to make sure everything's going okay. And so I hear repeatedly the sound of the nails being driven into the cross. I see the images of Christ on the cross that we show in the video loop. I see people praying and interacting with the different elements. And it's, there's something about that that is so piercing to the heart that then makes Easter Sunday that much more of a celebration. The truth of who Jesus is and what he's done should never be far from our mind because there's power in remembering. And Paul points out another aspect of Jesus, that he's the offspring of David. Now, what's the significance of that? It's to reinforce for Timothy, Jesus is the one. He's the promised Messiah. He's the one we've been looking for. He's the one that when we studied our scripture, they had the Old Testament was their scripture. We study scripture and we know there's a promised one. Well, he was the one. You can have confidence in that, Timothy. Whatever you might be going through, you're serving the Son of God, the Messiah promised throughout the Old Testament. And again, as Paul is writing this, he's chained like a criminal for sharing the truth of Jesus And still he's writing to Timothy to encourage him to keep doing what he's doing. Because sharing Jesus is worth any suffering. Sharing Jesus with others is worth any circumstances that might come into your life. Paul knows Timothy may wish he could be there in person to help. 
right? Wouldn't you like to have Paul by your side, kind of helping you along, mentoring you as you're trying to start a church? But Paul says, even though he's bound and unable to be there in person, the word of God is not bound. The power of the gospel, the truth of Jesus cannot be contained. So again, to encourage Timothy, Paul says, remember Jesus. And then secondly, he says, remember the power of God's word. Remember the power of God's word. Paul places a high value on God's word, obviously. It is powerful. It cannot be stopped. It's how God directly revealed himself to us. God's word carries the truth of who God is and what he's done. Just a couple of reminders from Scripture itself. Psalm 119 is a beautiful uh, Hebrew poem about the power and the, the, the incredible specialness of God's Word. Um, and so, verse 105 is one of my favorites in the whole Bible. It says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I love this picture because so often we wish God's Word was a beacon that pierced all things, right? So that we could see to the end of time what God wanted us to do. But no, God says, my word is like a lamp. You think about when you're camping or you're out in the dark, maybe it's something's in the backyard that you forgot and so you have to go out there and find it, right? And you just have a small little light. Nowadays we always have one because it's on our phone. And so you just have this small little light. It just shows you enough to take a safe next step, right? It doesn't show you the full journey, it just shows you enough to be safe in the next step. That's how God's word operates. As we obediently seek him, as we obediently um, let God's word interact with us in our lives, he will show you your next step of obedience, the next safe step that he wants you to take. If he showed us the end, we would freak out. We wouldn't be able to handle it. He knows that, right? And so he shows us just enough to take that next step. Without it, we'd be lost. We'd be in danger on that journey. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is powerful, and he's given it to us as a way for us to interact directly with him. It's so much more than some nice thoughts put together and held for us on the page. It's living and active and powerful. It's a record of his character, his pursuit of our redemption from the brokenness and eternal consequences of sin. It's a love letter, actually, to you and to me. I'll never forget, there's a moment in my life, I think I've shared it before, maybe not in a sermon, but if so, you get to hear it again. But there's a moment in my life that is so special to me uh, that I'll never forget. We were on a mission trip when I was... 15, 16, I don't remember. We used to go to Galeana, Mexico once a year. I don't remember what the connection was, but my dad would take a group of people from our church. And so I got to go once I got old enough. And uh, we would go into these villages and we would do puppet shows that shared the gospel and like sort of VBS kind of activities with the kids. And then we would go to the homes in the village and try to pass out uh, Spanish Bibles. And so we went into this one older lady's house, and she was uh, sitting there in her chair and handed her this Bible, and she immediately erupted like into uncontrollable sobbing. And I was like, what did I do? You know, I immediately think I did something wrong. And she kind of gathers herself, 
And um, she wasn't really saying anything. The interpreter was like, I don't, she's not saying anything. Um, and so she goes back into the back room, basically a little two-room house, and she goes into the other room, and she comes back with this book that is completely falling apart. And it has, it's a paper uh, book, and it has grooves where her fingers have been. And it's obviously sort of patched together as best she could. It's the Bible that she's owned for who knows how long that she has treasured and used so much that it's just falling apart. And she was erupting into tears because now she had a new one that she could again treasure and use. The, she valued God's word way more than I did in that moment. And I, it, was, it stuck with me ever since I'll never forget the look on her face. You know, Paul knew that Timothy needed encouragement to endure. So he reminded him of the power of God's word. And that's encouraging to me because there are times when I can take God's word for granted and I need to be reminded. This incredible gift of scripture can a lot of times be the first thing that we take for granted. You know, I've been married for a lot of years. 20-something (laughs) <laughs> I actually know the number, but that's funny, isn't it? Uh, and when you're, you know, when you're first dating and everything is fresh and exciting and, and the person you're dating writes you like a love note, I don't know if people still do that because the world's so electronic now, but uh, they write you a love note. And what we used to do was we would like, at least me, I would, you know, fold it back up nicely and put it in like this little memory box, right? And so... You never know when the one you start dating is going to be the one. So I would always like save these love notes, which also meant I had some from old girlfriends too, which was kind of weird. But uh, so you have this box of love notes. Well, over time, as you date, then as you're engaged, you know, the love notes become less frequent. You go back to them less often. They're still treasures, right? I still am so glad that I have those. And when I do pull them down, they're so meaningful and take me right back to those times uh, that they're reminding me of. But right now, it's a box in my closet with some notes in it that I haven't looked at for a while. I think we treat God's word kind of the same sometimes, right? It's a love letter to us. And at first, we're so excited about it. There are times in life when we dig into it, when we can see how important it is to us. We want to go over it again and again to be reminded of the things that God is teaching us. But then it ends up just kind of being stuck to the side, or we look at it every now and then. We need to understand the power of God's word. We need to remember the power of God's word, and we need to treasure God's word. Don't treat scripture like I have those love notes from Jennifer. I'm going to go home and read them today. Uh, Don't treat scripture like that. Treasure it for what it is. So Paul, in addressing and trying to encourage Timothy in this new role, he points him to the power of God's word. And even though Paul can't be there in person, even though Timothy may feel completely out of his depth and overwhelmed with trying to keep these new believers on track, Paul says, you have exactly what you need and it can't be stopped. Remember God's word. You know, as a worship leader, I understand this principle too. We don't always point it out. We don't talk about it. But very often the songs that we sing in worship are firmly rooted or even directly lifted from Scripture. We do that on purpose. It's not not an accident. Try very hard to do that. For example, today, the song River of Life. It's fun. It's catchy. It makes you clap and smile. But it's also scripture. 
John 7, 37 and 38 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This idea of the river of life is something Jesus said to the, the woman at the well. He said, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask for this river that's never ending to flow in your life. So by making that song part of our worship services, you're hearing and learning scriptural principles that you can remember. And you don't even realize it. I'd encourage you to look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 this week. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And think about how the other two songs we just sang, Glorious Day and Death Was Arrested, are built on that passage. We don't just sing to fill some time in the service. We sing because it, it's something that sticks in your heart and your mind differently. It stays with you. And as you sing those words, as you reflect on those words, as you worship God, worship God through those songs during the week, you're actually remembering the power of God's word in a different way. Paul tells Timothy to remember Jesus, remember God's word. And then he says in verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul tells Timothy in the midst of the hardships and the discouragement to remember the mission. Remember Jesus, remember God's word, and remember the mission. Paul says everything he's going through is all worth it because of how important the mission is. He says, it's not about me. It's not about you, Timothy. It's about Jesus. And he's acknowledging that what Timothy is doing will be difficult. It will most definitely cost him in some way. But in Paul's thinking, it doesn't matter. The mission overrides any personal comfort or suffering that may come their way. He says it straight out in Philippians 3.8. He says, indeed, I consider everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know, this is really the opposite of our self-centered culture, right? Our culture says life is all about you, that you're the center of the universe. When you're discouraged, it must be the fault of something or someone else, right? You got to figure it out, figure out what's causing you this distress, Culture says, remember what you're entitled to. Don't let anyone or anything keep you from it. And that kind of selfish perspective leads to an emptiness because it's focused on such a small picture. It's such a small window of what life's about. Paul says to Timothy, life is not about you. It's about what God wants to do with you and through you to impact others with the truth. Paul says, think about everyone else but yourself and remember the mission. It's worth anything this world may put you through. Again, Timothy's on his own. Paul's in prison. Timothy's trying to figure out how to stay faithful. He's discouraged. He's possibly wanting to just quit and walk away. And Paul writes to encourage him as a friend and a brother, and he tells him to remember. Remember Jesus. Remember the power of God's word and remember the mission because there's power in remembering Again, tomorrow is Memorial Day, a day we set aside in our nation to remember and honor those that gave their lives defending freedom in our way of life. You know, across our nation, we have different occasions and people that we memorialize so that we don't forget. 
Remember the terrorist attacks on September 11th. What's the tag phrase that have kind of stayed with that? It's, we will never forget. Right? I think about the unbelievably tragic events in Texas just a few days ago. And one of the, one of the calls that's rising up from that is, we can't forget. We can't forget. We can't let this happen again. And that sentiment of remembering, of memorializing, has a very clear spiritual parallel for us as followers of Jesus. There's power in remembering for what? To endure. We remember so that we can endure. Now, if you've gone through Discovery, you might have heard some of the story of how I ended up here in Carson City. But uh, a lot of you may not know that before coming here, I was at one of the lowest points that I had ever been at as a pastor in a church. I was at a point of utter discouragement to the point of what else can I do other than pastor because I don't think I can do this anymore. I needed that. I needed Paul to write me a letter. Well, he did. We have him. I needed to be encouraged to remember these things. And then this guy, Derek Carpenter, and I had a phone call. And there was something just so life-giving about the conversation that I was like, okay, if there's someone like that that I can pastor with, I might be able to do this. I might be able to, to, to keep going. At the time, though, I still wasn't sure. And so even though it was a crazy thing, their idea of, of me um, coming here and being able to, to pay bills and have food and things was to work with Derek uh, doing radon mitigation. Now, I have never done any work like that, really. I'm not a person that works with my hands and builds things. Like, Derek builds for fun, right? He's like, oh, there's some stones over there. Let's make a stone thing. <laughs> okay. I, I just don't think like that, right? And so he had this business. It was going well. He said, hey, I'll just, we'll do a couple of extra jobs a month, and I'll be able to pay you, and the church can't pay you very much at all, but that's okay, because we think God's doing this thing, and it's going to be amazing. And I couldn't argue with him. I was like, God is clearly telling me this is what we're supposed to do. And here we are, six years later. Thankfully, the radon thing didn't last that long. Uh, I ended up, I think it made it harder for Derek. He's finally fired me. But uh, no, no, that was actually, that year was some of the best team building that I think Derek and I could have ever had. Crawling around under houses together um, and, and traveling to these jobs and being able to talk and share about what God was doing had an incredible positive effect on our relationship and I think on the church and, and what God did through that. But, but it came from a point where I was at the lowest of the lows. And so whenever I feel a little discouraged, guess what I think about? how God's brought me out of it before. When I was in the midst of that time before talking to Derek, I thought about a time where I had been discouraged, probably not as much, but similarly, and God had brought us out of it to an incredible experience of him moving and growing and changing lives, and now he's done it again. So if I ever get discouraged here at Common Ground, which I don't foresee, but if I ever do, 
I can have confidence that God's going to move that forward because I have these markers in my life of where he's done it before, and I know he will do it again. Jesus himself followed this redemptive mission that God had for him. Jesus offers us freedom from sin and death through his death on the cross. And today is one of the days that we are able to, to take communion, which, as I already mentioned, is a sacrament that was instituted by Jesus himself to help us remember his sacrifice for us, to help us remember what he went through when his blood was spilled and his body was broken for us. And as we take communion today, I hope it will be more than just a routine, a ritual, or just a habit. I hope you will truly remember Jesus Christ, just like Paul told Timothy to do. And when you have doubt or discouragement, I pray you will remember the power of God's word. I don't know what you walked in feeling today. I don't know where the doubt and discouragement might be for you. But remember who Jesus is, what he's done, and the power of God's word. Despite all efforts to eliminate it, God's word cannot be bound. Have you taken it for granted? And finally, when the world knocks you around a little bit and tries to convince you that life is all about you, remember that it's about God's mission in and through you, that God desires to use you in helping others to find the truth. Because there's power in remembering, and it's to endure. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the opportunity we have to study and to see examples of how you've moved in the past so that we can have confidence you're going to continue to do that in the future. And God, as we understand even as a nation, we set aside memorials, we understand the importance of remembering, help us to do that in our own spiritual life, in our own spiritual walk. God, as we continue to sing, as we continue to worship you, as we continue to sing these truths, May we understand that we're singing scripture, things you've revealed to us about yourself that we then reflect back to you in worship. As we take communion, God, may it not just be a ritual. May we truly understand the significance of what you've done for us and may that never be far from the front of our minds or resting on our hearts. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.